2: The first degree.
1: First degree. first degree. first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First
2: degree. The
3: first degree. You see it on the news. You see it on the paper.
1: You see it on Facebook. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life.
4: And I can't tell you how many times I spent in my mom's room crying and just being a general sad fact for myself. And I thought I'd gone through everything. The estate saleswoman found, when she was going through my closet in my mom's room, this note. She's holding it with a tissue because we don't want to touch it. But there was this one folder in a purse. It was the purse that she had used the summer she had died, not the one she had when she died. She would change them out. In that folder, it's a suicide note. And we were all like, "Holy shit! It's a suicide note." And I'll read it.
5: Hey guys, welcome to the First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek. I'm sitting across from Alexis Linkletter and next to Billy Jensen, and we're in our podcast one home. We are. How does it feel? We haven't done this in months. It feels very
3: professional. <laughs>
5: <laughs> it does feel professional it does yeah. feel professional. we have our mics stood up we have our headphones we're feeling fancy no and it, food no food and it is may 22nd 2019 which is what
3: happy harvey milk day
5: oh you chose mine I Did i love harvey milk i've talked about it before one of my favorite quotes in the world is by harvey milk what is that quote <sighs> it's about loving a woman and it's a long quote i cannot quote it to you it's like a whole paragraph but it's it's really stream of oh, oh, consciousness yeah. and really beautiful and i um, think he was a wonderful man but it is also bitcoin pizza day
3: yeah well it's we have a lot to choose from today it's sherlock holmes day which is which is your fave uh it's world goth day
6: <gasps> why didn't you this choose is Billy's day. This just is so because day. i
3: wanted to be nice to you,
5: you
3: know oh but yes God. world goth day sherlock holmes day
5: what are you gonna do for world goth day
3: Um, are you gonna be like do what I do every day just sit in my room and and listen to music Are do you in the dark?
5: Um, all right, let's get into it
7: So we highly recommend if you haven't listened to part one of this story stop right now go back and listen to that Because you'll be very confused Trying to wrap your head around this insanity without having a little context But for those of you who have listened, I'm going to recap and give you some cliff notes on where we left off. Bob Ward has been arrested for the murder of his wife, Diane Ward. Bob is saying that he wrestled the gun away from his wife in the midst of a suicide attempt, which caused the gun to go off accidentally. The police and the DA's office that subsequently indicted him for murder believe that it was intentional and cite the motive as financial in that Diane was supposed to testify for some financial lawsuit involving some real estate business properties. So Bob has been indicted and he's out on bail.
2: Today, three weeks after his arrest, Ward posted his $100,000 bond and walked out of the Orange County Jail into a throng of reporters.
1: Now tonight, he is back in his Isleworth mansion, but with one big difference. He has a monitoring bracelet slapped around his ankle. Bob Ward wore a slight smile as he walked out of the Orange County jail. There were no family members to greet him, only employees of the bondsman's office. They took him across the street where he was fitted with a GPS monitor, and after about an hour, he headed for a waiting car. Mr. Ward, did you shoot your wife? Do you have any explanation? Ward never uttered a word to the media. He was taken home by an unidentified couple. They even made a stop for waters and soda at a 7-eleven. Once back inside Isleworth Ward quietly entered his home, the same mansion where two and a half weeks ago he's accused of murdering his wife. Ward seemed taken aback by the crowds of cameras. I think um, maybe he was a little shocked at how public everything was and how many people were here.
4: My dad was released on bond in mid-October and when he was released it was complete insanity. I had left school to spend time with my dad as he got out when he was released he went home and got to the point where he could travel around the county and he did have the monitoring bracelet and he was being drugged and alcohol tested tested he couldn't drink or take drugs obviously and it was hard I mean living at home with him and the house was big it was meant for a big family and it was just the two of us it was very lonely and i always felt bad when i wasn't there because i mean he was still living in that house that she died in and still sleeping in that bedroom and you know we tried to clean it up as best as we can the crime scene techs didn't do a great job cleaning it there was still blood everywhere and we i tried to clean it up it was a nightmare
7: so we've got to be aware of the fact that bob mallory and sarah are kind of adjusting to their new reality this reality that their mom is no longer there. Diane's gone.
4: It was hard that first Thanksgiving. I remember there was this commercial um, and it was on like every commercial break and it was moms, they just make holidays the best. And my <laughs> sister and I still talk about it today. Like, are you kidding me? We were definitely mourning. I remember many nights just spending with my dad crying. I mean, He was always devastated and tried to be in high spirits during the day. But I know at night, around dinner time, it really got to him. And we actually were kicked out of the Isleworth Club, but we still lived in Isleworth. Um, But they were like, well, you've been charged with this, even though he hadn't been convicted yet. So we couldn't even go to the restaurant to get something to eat. And he didn't like to go out in public because someone was always staring because it was always on the news. In the end of October, we had a ceremony for my mom in Cocoa Beach where she grew up. And my dad was allowed to travel to that. And that was really beautiful. And it was really hard though. I mean, we we didn't have her body. We didn't have any of her belongings. Most of them were stolen, but some of them were still in evidence. And I remember when they finally released her body, they had called the attorneys and the attorneys called us. And this was November, I think. And my dad asked me, do you want to go see her? And I said, absolutely not. I didn't want to remember her that way. So the trial was originally supposed to start in February on Valentine's Day, which they made a huge deal about that in the press. I took a few weeks off and went down to Orlando and just to support him as much as I can, I knew I had to testify. But my main thing was I in case it didn't go the way it needed to go, I wanted to be able to be there and spend the last few days with him. So we, we had a smaller house in Isleworth at a time Um, after we lost the big house and it was nice because at least we were behind a gate and we were safe because still people were coming to Isleworth and trying to get in and it was a nightmare.
5: So the first trial was streamed live on WFTV, WESH and Fox 35 and also CNN. Bob Ward under questioning by presiding Judge Davis stated that he would not be testifying. And the two-week trial took place in the same courthouse where Casey Anthony uh, was tried earlier that summer. Quick question.
7: Thoughts on televising murder trials?
3: Well, it certainly didn't work out in the OJ trial.
7: It never works out. And, you know, people argue all the time that you have to apply to be able to record in there, obviously. And a judge ultimately makes a determination as to whether or not like
5: x news station can
7: go yes exactly but it's always like you know it really makes people act strange like lawyers are over the top
5: i i don't see the value in it yeah in the argument everybody is like putting on theatrics
3: exactly exactly yeah yeah, it's not i i I agree and also not to mention the fact that topical wise court tv just relaunched
7: well right (laughs) and it also just exploits people's pain like people vulnerable who've lost both their parents or lost
5: a parent and might lose the other one to jail, like Sarah, not only... I mean, it's bad enough having to go through an experience like that, but then being exploited like that is pretty being terrible. Being exploited, everyone in
7: the country sees. It's recorded forever somewhere. Whenever people want to look you up to see your feelings about this, they can. Yeah. I just think it's unfair. But the argument on the other side is, because I was like, what is the benefit? And people say... It helps people learn about the process. It helps people stay informed. It takes a burden off of reporters for having to do play-by-plays when a case is so robust. So I see, like, I don't see the other side and, as and much also, as the other. And,
3: and there's also accountability too. You know, if the, if if you have a a camera on a courtroom and you're seeing a judge being, you know, completely biased for one way or another, or or seeing one of the, you know, we would not know that adnan's um lawyer was so bad right if, if we didn't have that, those tapes yeah but still it's no just like but it, her, it, hers was her, her in <laughs> her inflection and the way she so... talked she was
7: painful
1: yeah,
3: yeah.
5: To, her, listen to. i mean
7: and she's ill so i'm not disparaging her but you need to know when to stop practicing law yeah if, uh because somebody's life, is, somebody's on life is on the right. line exactly exactly
3: so here are the theories if bob ward intentionally killed his wife in the couple's Isleworth mansion in September of 2009 as pressure mounted from a business bankruptcy. And the motive, as we mentioned, was that Diane Ward was slated to testify just days before she was due to give a deposition in those bankruptcy proceedings. So they're trying to say that this is the reason why he intentionally killed his wife.
4: Regarding my mom's deposition and how that's why he wanted her dead, she had requested to move the deposition because we were supposed to be at a horse show that week, um, and so she wanted it moved so she could go up early. So it was that was just completely ridiculous that they tried to make it into something that that wasn't. You know, they tried to play it off like he was trying to get her out of it, so he looked guilty in killing her because he was worried she was going to say something at this deposition, which had nothing to do with anything really. So the prosecution was really relying on the distance of the gun and the weight of the trigger. I know that those were really big things. And they brought up the distance of the gun, which we knew for a fact had been changed. And we had a witness to say that the district attorney went down to the crime lab and told the techs that they had to do whatever they could to make it a homicide. So the distance was changed from about six to eight inches away from her face to 18 inches away, which, of course, if you're relatively intelligent, you would know, well, that's really hard to shoot yourself in the face from 18 inches away. Granted, the whole time, like my dad had said from day one, that there was a struggle over the gun, but it still wasn't that far away. And that was some of the blood spatter evidence that had been brought up
3: Now, defense attorney Craig Gillen told the jury the day before that Diane Ward was more valuable to Bob Ward alive than dead. Because while she was alive, creditors could not come after the couple's shared assets. But if she was dead, they'd be able to, because they would all be in his name. Right. They'd be able to take everything. That's interesting. There's
7: one more thing, though. So a lot of this reporting, too, talked about how Bob wanted his wife dead because of life insurance. Oh. There was none. No. Life insurance. Rich people like this don't need life insurance. That's true. Just, that's literally to pay for like funeral expenses and if you can't pay the bills. Yeah. So Sarah and I talked about this and it was just like, she's like, we didn't have life insurance, but it was everywhere. People that, are just probably guessing because exactly. that's always the motive because for something. Like, rich people don't need to kill people for life insurance. He was, a, you know, because this is the thing. We also need to make something clear. This chapter 11 bankruptcy, he still had money. Yeah. No, chapter know, 11, they just wipe your debt. No, I mean, it was... It, so basically how it works is like it gives you a chance to restructure your business so you don't go totally under. Yeah, yeah. So they let you restructure. They don't take all your assets and all your money, no, which is no. why he was allowed to stay in you the house. You can even
3: do, do Chapter 11 and then become president. Donald Trump
7: States. has <laughs> has declared bankruptcy n- m- many times. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's like he's It's a he, smooth. move. I mean, both of these g- girls were at university. Yeah. Sarah was like, a top equestrian, they had multiple horses. It's not like they were hurting for money, but that's how the media made it seem. Yeah. So it's like he wasn't going to kill his wife for life insurance. It wouldn't have wouldn't have done, done anything. When I was growing up, I took French in high school, but I could never get the language to stick. I wanted to be fluent so bad, but it never happened. I just couldn't focus, and I couldn't practice enough, and it didn't work. But thankfully, there's Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program, and it's available on desktop, or it can be used as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone is different. It immerses you in so many ways, and with its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, and then sentences, and before you know it, boom, conversations. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's True Accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the first degree listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash first. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash first today. Visit therealreal.com and use code FIRST at checkout for 20% off. Terms apply.
5: So during the investigations, the detectives interviewed one of Bob's former girlfriends, Diane Callahan. She said that in the five years that she dated Bob, he drank heavily and once popped three Valium in his mouth, washing it down with alcohol. She also said that he got violent when he was drunk and during one disagreement, he was so enraged that he tore Bud post off with his bare hands and beat her unconscious. She later testified to all this, adding that he was complaining about his wife shortly before a fatal shooting. Quote, he said that his wife spent too much money. She also said that he was angry with his wife for being too busy to pick him up at the Orlando International Airport. I am too busy to pick fucking anybody up from the airport. Right.
4: So my... Dad and his ex-girlfriend, also named Diane, were had reconnected. Diane, the ex girlfriend, not Diane, my mom, had reached out to my dad. And this was the summer or the spring before my mom died and wanted to grab drinks. And my dad's like, Yeah, sure, that's fine. But I remember when we were sitting at the kitchen counter and my dad told My mom and I, that we,
6: and
4: this is totally fine if you play this, we called her space chicken. This woman was nuts. And I, and because I know like the murderino crowd, like that saying crazy stuff like that can be really triggering for people. I suffer from serious mental illness. I have really bad depression. I have really bad anxiety. I have really bad OCD. Like, but this woman was nuts. I mean, she was crazy. And she wanted to, Meet with my dad for drinks, and my mom, my dad asked my mom, Well, you think I should do it? And my mom's on the floor, almost seeing her pants, she's laughing so hard. She's like, You better do it. I want to hear everything about this. So they went to and had drinks, and that was fine. And I'm sure my dad bitched about going to the airport and not getting picked up. It wasn't my mom who didn't pick him up, it was the woman that was living in our guest house and taking care of the house when we were gone. She wouldn't go pick my dad up from the airport. So Face Chicken had her stories all wrong. And I saw that woman when I had to do my deposition, and she gave me the nastiest look. And it's like, I just lost my mom. Just because you don't like my dad doesn't mean you get to treat me like crap. And when it comes to the whole situation she was talking about, about the bedpost and this and that, it happened the complete other way. My dad came up the stairs and diane was holding the bedpost and whacked him with it and then held him at gunpoint and said if you don't agree to marry me i'm going to kill you i mean this woman was insane and so there was a police report filed and it's conveniently missing now but she wanted her 15 minutes and she sure got it at his expense oh also she pushed him out of a ski lift and broke his hip this woman's insane
7: so, what was the defense's strategy going to be to counter the prosecution?
4: As for the defense, I mean, we just were going to stick with the truth. You know, she had a well documented or at least well known drinking problem and she struggled with drugs. And I begged Kirk Connell, the attorney, to put on a, a shrink on the stand and he didn't. And I think that the shrink could have explained. My dad's behavior on the phone, my dad's behavior after, you know, he could be a little bit rigid. He was, he was a businessman and he knew when he needed to kind of focus and get things done. And I have that too with him. I'm just like, let's narrow in on what needs to get done and get it done. And it can come off a little bit cold.
7: So there's something else that the media and the prosecution kind of latched onto. And that was the fact that on the night of Diane's death, that the gun that was used in the shooting ended up in the in a drawer, in one of the dressers in the bedroom the night the incident occurred.
4: Um, I also wanted to address the gun in the drawer. Um, It was brought up in the media that, well, the gun was in the drawer, so he must've, you know, he definitely shot her because then he took the gun and, and put it away. But on the 911 call, At some point, he was told to secure the gun. And so he put it back in the drawer. He was standing right next to the drawer. So those were kind of things we were trying to talk about. And my mom's history with drugs and alcohol and how there was a history of violence when she drank and mixed it with a lot of pills. So Sarah's testimony is this.
3: She was called by the prosecution, but the info that she shared seemed to give weight to the defense's argument, that her mother Diane, fifty-five, was drunk and suicidal when the gun went off. Now Sarah said that her mother never handled guns, but did say that she could be she could get very erratic after she drank red wine, which was her drink of choice.
4: So they had me testify towards the end for the prosecution. I don't know why they called me as a prosecution witness and my sister, but that's just how it worked out. Well they As I was walking up, and I will say, I don't even remember the first prosecutor's name, Um, but she was really nasty for most of the time. But she was very good about signaling to my sister, my aunt and I, or telling the attorneys to tell us that we needed to cover our eyes or to leave when they were going to show sensitive photos. She was really good about that, and I have to give her credit for that. Things weren't going great for us, but they weren't also going great for the prosecution by the end of their stuff. So she was kind of all fired up. When I went to testify, she prominently displayed on her desk, right, that I had to walk by the close-up photo of my mom on the autopsy table of her face, and that's where she was shot. I mean, it would have been upsetting no matter what it was, but, I mean, you could... And she'd been cleaned up, but you could... I, you could see everything and it was horrible and i have nightmares to this day about it i mean i will never be right because of this woman showing me that photo and she did it on purpose she did it to shake me up before i went on the stand but when i'm on the stand she was asking me about mom and any outburst she had ever had or well finally she had said something and it really made me mad and i just screamed out i'm like Well, one time, she threw a suitcase at me, and she did. She threw it at me, almost hit me in the face. And I was trying to, my point was, you know, she could have these outbursts, and she could get violent when she had them. It wasn't the first time, and it wasn't the last. But I really made that prosecutor mad, and she just looked at me, and she slammed her hand down on the table, and she goes, well, you weren't there when your dad shot your mom point blank in the face, and she was bleeding out on her floor, were you? And I just started bawling. I'm, less 20? I'm a young kid, really. And I just start crying. And so my dad smashed his hand on the table. He's angry. I mean, he didn't get up, he didn't scream at her, but... And everyone twisted that as, well, Bob Ward's a horrible person. Look at this temper he's got. He definitely killed his wife because he's got such a temper.
2: The most emotional day yet in the millionaire murder trial with the defendant's daughter leaving the stand in tears.
1: Bob Ward became angry hitting the defense table when prosecutors asked his younger daughter about her mother being shot in the face.
2: Meanwhile, when the prosecutor asked her a hardball question about her mother's shooting death, you hear a loud thud in anger from Bob Ward in the court.
4: You you were not there when your mother ended up shot in the face.
2: Millionaire murder suspect Bob Ward lost his customary cool when a question about his wife's shooting death reduced his younger daughter to tears. He later apologized to the court. Earlier, Sarah Ward testified that she witnessed her mom get violent once under the influence of red wine.
4: My mother threw a suitcase at me when she was drinking red wine.
2: The defense claims Diane Ward was drunk on wine and despondent sure. before trying to kill herself the night of her death. The sisters are more than best friends. In the days before Diane Ward's death, her sister Paula testified she heard no evidence that Bob Ward was harboring resentment or anger towards his wife.
1: No, they were both laughing.
5: Um, no, they were, in, they were having a great time. Sarah said that her mom wasn't slurring her words when she last spoke to her on the evening of her death, but she did know that she was drinking. She said that she loved her mother and father more than anything. And it was during this testimony that Bob Ward appeared to lose his cool, thumping his hand on the defendant's desk as his daughter was asked questions about the shooting in September of 2009. The media ran with this, suggesting that his action was a display of Bob's violence.
4: Towards the end of the first trial, I knew he was gonna be found guilty. I was watching those jurors, I was watching the news, which I wish I hadn't done. And I knew he was gonna be found guilty. You know, we, ha- we were forced into resting because they wouldn't bring our witness forward. Um, we had a witness from the crime lab to say that he was told to change the distance of the gun. And the prosecution was like well we don't want to bring him back well of course you don't want to bring him back anyway we never got him. we had a deposition from him but obviously we couldn't talk about that so we rested and i just knew he was going to be convicted we spent one night at home together which was nice we cooked dinner and i didn't want to tell my dad you know like you're going to prison tomorrow so i just kind of we just sat around and drank and hugged and obviously my dad didn't drink because he was really good on his on what he needed to do to make sure he could stay out but I was definitely drinking and my poor sister she was she acts like she's so tough and she is she's the strongest woman I know but this stuff it hurts her really badly and it I just it was a heartbreaking night and we spent the next day we had like a room on the top floor of the um of the courthouse where we could just sit and there was no media there and we just sat around and held hands and you know dad spent time with me and then he would go spend time with mallory and we got the call that we had a verdict in and we went down and there's a picture of me my sister and my dad and we're all just holding hands and i knew it was the last time that that was going to happen where he was free i just knew it and As soon as the judge came in, my dad had to go sit at the table and he sat at the table and the verdict was read and we all just cried. And my dad took all of his jewelry and his watch and his ring, his wedding ring, and pulled his wallet out and laid him on the table and he just went back with them. And he honestly thought he would get out, though. I mean, he didn't think that this would be a problem because why would you think you'd be convicted of something you didn't do?
7: So unsurprisingly, based on how things have gone so far, Bob was convicted. And this is, this is baffling. When you actually break it down like this, when we watch it and absorb it, we don't realize it. But when you break it down like this, listen to this. The live reading of the verdict could be found on Central Florida News 13, as well as WFTV Channel 9 and WOFL Channel 35, which interrupted their regular schedules. WFMG Channel 6 relayed the bulletin via a crawl. The broadcast stations quickly returned to their lineups, but not before saying, not before, the camera focused on Ward's daughters, Mallory and Sarah, who were in tears. News 13 said both daughters, while their father was being handcuffed, whispered through tears, I love you, dad. One of the Ward's daughters said that the, said, that's bullshit. It said expletive. And then they were rushed out of the courtroom. So they like narrate this like it's a telenovela. Yeah. And they zoom in on people's oh, so faces gross. who are in pain and like y- you watch
5: it and we're so desensitized. But these are real people. Uh,
3: yeah. But you're that-
5: watching TV and it's just pe- people are probably reacting like it was in a scripted show well, like and mm-hmm, breaking, without no like empathy. Exactly. Breaking
3: into you know the broadcast whatever it was, it was probably
5: um Lake. <laughs> martha stewart R-
3: ricky lake is that where you went to martha stewart yeah something along those lines or uh or a game show or a uh, soap opera and it's pretty incredible that these tv stations thought that this was you know this is our, this is florida's big story and we're gonna break Well, and they're,
5: they're like shoving it down people's throats but, you yeah. know, florida is
6: crazy. known for this yeah bundy than this. bundy
7: warnos rawlings casey Anthony, So much so that like, I mean, the sunshine law in Florida is, is that so people can get public information because I just think there was so much, it was so much, so convoluted. They, I don't want to say they encourage this, but do they? Because they facilitate it. They allow it. And it's no coincidence that the ones I just named, I mean, can you think of another state that has so many, I mean, besides like. L.A. doesn't have even that many that I can rattle off like that.
1: No.
3: no, I mean, all of California, yeah. But for Florida being the size that it is, mm-hmm. uh, no. I mean.
7: There's something to that. There's yeah. something to that.
3: So the six jurors, they deliberated 12 hours over two days before finding him guilty of second-degree murder. Ward was stoic as the verdict was read. And before the verdict, he hugged the daughters and as they were crying. He was fingerprinted in court. He was handcuffed and removed from the court by the deputies. One juror said, we took this very, very seriously, uh, said a man named Pedro Gonzalez, who is a 24-year-old from Orlando. He said, I believe our verdict was the correct one. Gonzalez Gonzalez said that um, having the revolver used in the shooting brought back to the jury room for the panel to handle was critical in his estimation. Each juror, he said, pulled the trigger to get a feel for what it would take to fire the weapon. We sque- we squeezed the trigger and got a feel for the 12-pound trigger pull, he said. We agreed that gun didn't just go off. And Bob Ward was sentenced to 30 years.
4: I know that the judge granted the jury permission to bring the gun back and to test the weight of that trigger to see, well, did she just pull it really quick and it went off or how... How much pressure do you need? What is the pressure, pounds per pressure? They never should have had access to the gun to do their own test. And then they also asked for, I believe they asked for a yardstick so they could pull the gun away from their faces and see how much pressure and how far away was, 18 inches. And and yeah, they should have never had access to any of that. So that was really unfortunate.
7: A short time after the conviction, Bob's attorney filed two motions in an attempt to get him a new trial or an acquittal. These motions were based on a TV news segment that featured juror Pedro Gonzalez. Now, media fucking backfires because WKMG Channel 6 and the Orlando Centennial both conducted interviews with this juror, Pedro Gonzalez. He told reporters about this ability he had to pull the trigger. and how this assisted the jury in reaching the verdict. But his lawyer was outraged because this is against criminal procedure. You're not allowed to take the murder weapon and conduct your own experiments as a jury. That's just completely Mm
4: -hmm.
7: outrageous. So, I mean, the defense may have never known about it. The defense may have never known about it had Pedro not said that on camera. Right. And...
3: Which would, is all the more reason, potentially, to have...
7: To film the trial. To
3: film the trial I and, mean, and, 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 and no, have cameras this is in why everybody's we have, faces. This is,
7: but this was after the trial. This was outside, after yeah, the verdict was reached. I know. I understand. Reached. But this is why we have public information acts that allow us transcripts and, and things like that. But I don't know how you get information about what happens in a jury room. Yeah. That's yeah. a great question. Yeah. And But the idea that like a prosecutor knows this isn't okay every step of the way, and again, we're not commenting on the guilt of Bob, Bob Ward, but
5: there All are a the lot of problems. fucked up shit that is happening in this trial.
7: Yes. there The integrity of the coverage and the integrity of the trial, the investigation have been gravely compromised whether you think he's guilty or innocent.
4: Um, he gets transferred after they're convicted. They go to the jail and then they go to what's called a reception center, which sounds like a vacation, but it's totally not. And he went there and he was there from the trial ended, the end of September. He was probably there until January or February. And for the most part, we couldn't talk to him. He he said he didn't try to kill himself because I think he's trying to be strong for Mallory and I, but he overdosed on some medication that he must have scrolled away. Had to go to the hospital in December. We had a couple of hearings, like sentencing hearings and this and that. and. At the sentencing hearing, which was on my poor sister's birthday, Mallory and I, or I know I did. I don't know if Mallory came and testified, but, you know, I, I addressed how much I loved my dad. You know, I tried not to talk about, well, this court got it wrong because I didn't want to, you ever want to come off accusatory towards the judge. You want to be really respectful. And, but I just told, him, told them how much my dad loved my mom and how important she was to him. And he went to the prison in Ocala, Marion County Correctional Institution. And I do have to say, some of those guards there are good friends with me to this day. They were very nice, they looked out for my dad. I met some amazing people in there. Some people that are definitely guilty, some people that definitely aren't. Some people that got insane sentences that don't deserve them just because they were threatened into it. And we would go every holiday, my sister went, Every weekend for years, or every other weekend for years. To see him. And while I was in college, I went about once or twice a month. I would try to go twice, but like on the off weekends. My sister didn't go, but usually it was once a month. And we spent more than givings and Christmases in prison than I care to count.
7: So as Mallory and Sarah are visiting their dad, trying to mourn their mother, trying to finish college, trying to avoid the media and maintain some sort of normalcy, they are also preparing to file this appeal and try to get their dad a second trial. And they're just trying to keep it all together. They're young. They're college-age kids trying to navigate the legal system advocate for their father. I can't imagine. But that's what they're doing while they're spending their holidays in prison, preparing for the appeal and trying to keep their dad positive while they wait to see what's going to happen.
4: And the whole time we were trying to appeal, we had this one attorney, Jim Fellman, and he filed a good appeal. He was not good in front of the court. Um, The appeal originally was just on you know honestly i don't even remember what the original appeal was but we lost that was in 2012 or 2013. and then we filed another appeal with new attorneys we got a whole new team and i met with them we had two attorneys from georgia and we had to have one from florida so we got one from miami and i didn't like them (laughs) I felt like they thought my dad was guilty. I saw my dad flat out, don't hire these guys. Craig Dillon thinks you're guilty. I didn't like him at all. I came to really like them and respect them. And I'm the first person to admit when I'm wrong. And at that point, I was wrong. They filed an appeal saying our, it was called a 3850, which is incompetent counsel. And I'm never one, I don't wanna blame Kirk. He was sick and dying, and that's not his fault. It's heartbreaking, and I feel for his family. He was a nice man. I think he wanted to go out with a bang, a big trial and a big win, and it just didn't work out that way. But towards the end of the days at the first trial, you could see him kind of fading. He wasn't asking for a mistrial when things were brought up. So we won our second appeal. In 2015, my dad was, his conviction was overturned, and he was considered legally innocent, and, we won it because of his constitutional rights being violated. He actually was never read his Miranda rights. We won the appeal. He was supposed to get out for a year. They kept him in prison. They didn't even release him like into like, a, just a jail. They didn't even send him where he was just confined in a home. Like, nothing. Finally, a year later, he gets out and Judge Leticia Marquez she tells him, well, we don't recognize ankle monitoring bracelets, but you can be out. But you have to stay in Orange County. You can't go anywhere. Which is fine. That's great. At least he's out of prison and he was out for like six or eight months. He should have been out for two years, but they kept an in a innocent man in prison because the system fucking stuck. So then we were prepping for the trial with the same attorneys that won the appeal. And I was getting really uneasy because all they wanted to talk about was money, which I don't blame them. They're working their ass off. But they made us sign over our house to them. And they wanted, I think they wanted like a million dollars or 1.2 million, something around there for them to cover it. And so when the house was sold, they would have sold it for minimum of that even if it's worth twice as much because they only cared about themselves getting paid they didn't care about my sister and i having anything they didn't care about if my dad got out him have anything to live on after everything he's worked for they didn't give a shit about anything but themselves and i really started to notice that towards the trial and i also started to notice them buddying it up with the new prosecutor will jay well he told us this well he told us that well don't fucking listen to the prosecutor because he's going to tell you whatever the fuck he wants don't listen to him. Don't let that go on. So we're prepping for the next trial and my dad can't come to my wedding, which was awful. I had to get married in that, ooh, that courthouse, which was just a nightmare. But my dad deserved one thing that was normal. And that was to give at least one daughter away at her wedding because I don't think he'll ever be able to give Mallory away. And he couldn't come to our graduation and he won't see us that kids. He needed one normal thing. So we did that and he bought me a bouquet. It was so cute. And anyway, we went to trial, I guess it was February of 2018.
5: So now Bob is going on trial for the second time of the murder of his wife. The assistant state attorney told the jury during opening statements that science would prove that it was an intentional act of murder. And he has relied on extensive forensic testimony for the beginning of the trial, calling for a series of investigations from the Orange County Sheriff's Office and Orange County Medical Examiner's Office.
7: So the science they're relying on is they focus, they hyper-focus on the DNA on the gun. Yeah. And, and like where
5: it was placed on exactly.
7: the gun. So basically, and Jack and I were kind of texting about this before, um, the trigger had Diane's DNA on it, but the barrel had bobs yeah. and depending on what you read some d some media outlets say only bob's dna was on the gun some people say oh his dna was on the barrel which means he killed her some say the people like support him the
5: dna was on the barrel it supports his his story they when they did the swab they sw- both of the places, the DNA into like the same. So there's cross-contamination. Yeah. But let's talk about it. So there was obviously, was it uh, DNA or was it the GSR stuff? No, it was the, I, I'm a, I think it was the DNA where they took it from the trigger in the barrel or the trigger in the handle or whatever it was because there wasn't enough just to test the one area. So they tested them together. So obviously it's cross-contaminating.
7: Yeah, no, it's, and there's a lot of science that they talk about, but I say science, like they talk about GSR and they talk about how there was a ton on Diane and none on Bob. And then they were saying they couldn't test his clothes and how stuff got in the back, but it's all very convoluted. And you
3: can imagine also, we're dealing with a case that does have all of this media scrutiny of a rich white man. Can you imagine every minority? And how they often get railroaded in cases like this because they don't have the jury, you know, cameras in front of the jury um, uh, asking them about stuff and then saying like, oh, yeah, we were handling the gun and we were squeezing the trigger. Yeah. You know,
7: not only that, it's like Bob had the luxury of mortgaging properties to pay for Mm -hmm. a really stellar defense. And his defense did a great job. I mean, like getting a second trial is something most people yeah. never get, yeah. especially if you don't have money.
4: We went to trial, I guess it was February of 2018, and it lasted like a week. I mean, it was short this time, and they just blew through it. And they, The prosecution made the same claims they had made before, which the first two prosecutors, they were a pair, were fired, one for prosecutorial misconduct and another because he she went on rants on went on rants on Facebook that were incredibly offensive and my dad my poor daddy we're all staying in this like little hotel and I just remember just staying with him and bringing him dinner and just trying to at least have him enjoy while he's out he took him out to dinner and bought him a nice steak but I was like you deserve one nice thing and Yeah, it didn't go well at all. And I knew he was going to be convicted again. Our team just didn't put up a good fight. Well, we had come in when they said they had a verdict. and It was very similar to the first trial where my dad spent some time with me, and then he spent some time with Mallory. And my husband came in from California. He almost had to quit his job just so he could be there for the verdict. And my dad took my husband in a room and met with him for a while, and I think he knew what was gonna happen. And when the when we came in to get the verdict read, the judge, Leticia Marquez, just looked right at Mallory and I and was like, don't react. No matter what happens, you can't do anything. I mean, she was awful to us this whole time. That woman is a stone-cold bitch. She could not have been worse to us. When I was on the stand, she just treated me like crap. And this woman just had it, she didn't care that my mom was dead and that I was going to lose my dad. She didn't care.
3: So when he does get that second trial, the jury and the the second jury, they opt to not convict him of second degree murder, but they do find him guilty of the lesser uh, charge of manslaughter with a
4: firearm. So the verdict read and it's guilty. And I was sitting next to Mallory and she just stands up and, screams. My sister, she loves my dad and she will defend him till the day she dies, until the day I die and probably even after.
1: No outburst, no emotional displays of any kind or you will be escorted from the courtroom. If you cannot control yourselves, you need to leave the courtroom now. The deputies are free to escort anybody who acts up out the door. Brand the jury on Monday former Isleworth millionaire Bob Ward will be sentenced for the manslaughter of his wife Diane back in 2009 we jury guilty. in February a jury found Ward guilty of manslaughter with a firearm for killing his wife seething with anger Ward's daughter was outraged by the verdict We're and stormed out of the courtroom screaming
4: He's going to prison
1: for it! Prosecutors painted a picture of an angry, distraught man whose business was failing. Laying out an alternative theory of what occurred, Ward's defense attorney spent much of the trial claiming Diane was unstable, pointing to her use of mixing antidepressants and alcohol. The defense argued Ward was trying to stop Diane from killing herself.
3: I asked the jury to let the nightmare end today. Sadly... The nightmare for the Ward family continues. That's all we have to say.
4: And she stood up and screamed and she went out and, oh man, she threw a chair, she punched an elevator, she about broke her hand. I had to beg the cops not to arrest her when I found her finally in the parking lot and had to take her to the hospital as a mess, but I don't blame her. I mean, it's bullshit. She was right. So they dragged him away again and that was February of last year. It's been a mess
5: since. So Sarah Ward stepped up to the courtroom podium and asked the judge to set her father free. Diane Ward would not have wanted her husband to remain behind bars. And Sarah Ward said, I promise you that the life we have is now not what she wanted when she asked us to take care of our dad. My dad has paid a debt that he does not owe six years in prison. And Bob ended up asking the judge to have mercy on me. He says, what I'm asking from you is please make this right. Please. I'm a good person. I didn't do this. And he also complained of what he said were inaccuracies in the prosecutor's closing statements.
4: After he was convicted the second time, the judge after the verdict, I, I, I just kind of want to lay this part out just because it's just talking about the series of judges being changed. Um, we originally had a male judge. He granted my dad bonds. And he was replaced with i don't even remember her name she was pretty nice though and after the first trial when she granted us an appeal she was immediately replaced and our judge from this last trial has been replaced as well it started out weird like as soon as we started getting things granted in our favor the judges were either replaced or they were demoted from like nature crimes to you know, smaller crimes. that was kind of weird. So,
7: what's interesting, I mean, he was ultimately convicted and sentenced to 30 years again. Yes. So, have you ever heard that? So he was convicted of a lesser charge of manslaughter and given the same exact sentence.
5: Yeah, so what's the fucking point
4: of convicting him? They were just
7: like, no, dude, this is what you're getting. Yeah. We don't care that you deserved an appeal, whatever. Right. And, Another thing that's interesting is that as soon as the appeal was granted, they switched the judges out because, like, I don't know what the greater powers are in this situation, but what are the odds of that? And as soon as the appeal was granted, he was ordered to pay a jail reimbursement, almost like a like, oh, you got another trial. Yeah. Now you have to pay fifty dollars for every day you spent in jail, which equated to five hundred and forty seven thousand five hundred dollars, excluding leap days.
5: He's, like, keeps getting fucked. It's such
7: a mess. It's such... It's, you know... And I'm sure there's a process through this, but, like, he doesn't have the money anymore. I mean, they lost everything fighting this. And I'm just like, dude, even if you... Whether you did it or not, if you didn't do it, like, your hands are tired. Like, how do you fight this anymore?
3: So, after the second sentencing, the person tasked with selling the assets from the ward estate made a discovery.
4: After the second trial as we were packing up the house I mean the attorneys literally told us sell everything in the house and get the fuck out and we were going through everything and in my mom and dad's room in the house this was the house in Atlanta she had two well she actually had three closets and my dad had one she gave me one of her closets for my horse riding stuff and I can't tell you how many times I spent in my mom's room crying and just being general sad fact for myself. And I thought I'd gone through everything. The estate saleswoman found when she was going through my closet in my mom's room this note. She's holding it with a tissue because we don't want to touch it. But there was this one folder in a purse. It was the purse that she had used the summer she had died. Not the one she had when she died. She would change them out. In that folder it's a suicide note and we were all like holy shit it's a suicide note and i'll read it and my mom had very distinct handwriting and she would always doodle like crazy she just did these little loops i still do them too the suicide note reads dear mallory and sarah please know how much i love you i don't know how it happens for me to end up like this i want you to have wonderful lives and know that I will always be watching out for you both. Take care of daddy. I love you more than you will ever know. Take care of the dogs. They will need you. Ooh,
7: that gives me the chills. Oh my gosh. So, and this is like a piece of paper. I mean, it's a handwritten note in this kind of very girly cursive. Yeah, hard to read.
3: And the note was on a piece of stationery that said, Diane Ward at the top
4: but yeah finding this note kind of changed everything for mallory and i it brought us a little bit of closure it, it still breaks my heart and it just felt like for the first time in 10 years we were hearing from our, from our mom and it was it was a lot to take in we were just stunned because it felt like after all this time after all this heartbreak after losing everything we had some sense of her saying goodbye but at the same time it didn't make any sense because, I mean, we knew what had happened, but the fact that she was holding this in for so long, long enough for it to have been found in the other house, not the house she died in, was weird. And I get that from, you know, since we introduced it in the court, I get the prosecution saying, well, it wasn't even found in the house she died in. But that just shows to me how long she's been thinking about doing this. And for me, her daughter, who and I spent the most time with her, not see that she was at this point makes me sick because I tried to kill myself three times after my mom died and I should have seen that. I should have seen the signs and I didn't. But we were able to date it to that summer because of the things it was with. They had gone to Italy that spring and she had bought certain things and they were in that folder with it and because we're the defense, we're not the prosecutor, we don't have these things on hand, we have to pay for an expert. We paid for an expert and they confirmed it was her handwriting, which we all knew. I will say since I found that, I think I've been a little bit more at peace with my mom. Obviously not with my dad because of everything he's dealing with, but definitely with my mom. It's brought me some some sense of comfort.
5: Sarah and Bob's supporting family members ended up hiring an FBI expert to confirm the date and authenticity of the note. Their attorney, Sean Ellsworth, said that the note bolsters her husband's claim that Diane Ward was attempting suicide the night of her death and approached Bob Ward with a gun in her hands, prompting the struggle that ended up with her shooting. It's also offering proof that Diane Ward was, quote, unstable in a highly volatile mental and emotional state and thinking and acting in an erratic and life-threatening manner.
7: More strange things ensue. So, prosecutor Mark Interliccio. Mark was one of the state's attorneys who was assigned to the Bob Ward trial. And he essentially resigned amid an investigation into allegations that he had improper contact with Bob Ward's daughter, Mallory. The alleged improper communication took place days after a jury reached a verdict. Sarah Ward was the person who reported her sister's messages with Mark to the defense team, and the defense requested the messages from the state's attorney's office, and it was turned over as part of discovery. And the Florida Orange Osceola state's attorney had a response to these allegations. Aramis Ayala said the following in a statement, I take professionalism and integrity in my office very seriously, and when the personal communication was brought to my attention, I immediately suspended the ASA pending an investigation. This particular ASA, obviously this is in regards to Mark, is no longer employed with my office. I'm confident that the successful prosecution of Bob Ward was not compromised. So apparently there were some Facebook messages exchanged and text messages that were very, very inappropriate. And getting into them does not need to happen. But the bottom line is it makes no sense for a prosecutor to be contacting the daughter of a defendant. That they just spent months convicting. It's strange. And I also have information that this prosecutor was dating a reporter previously who was involved in a lot of this media circus and the reporting that helped convict Bob Ward. So I think this says a lot here. For most people, the case involving Diane Ward's shooting death was like a train wreck you couldn't look away from. But after Bob's conviction, this case, well, after Bob's second conviction, this case faded from the memory and the spectators moved on. And that's something Bob's family has not been able to do. The murder trial, the incarceration, the conviction, the appeal, the retrial made a twisting, turning and very compelling tabloid story. The question of his guilt is not something we are prepared to comment on Mm -hmm. because we don't have the evidence. But what... We can say with certainty and conviction is that the integrity of everything, I think, has been grossly compromised in that the investigation, the trial, even when he was incarcerated, I mean, things were being blown out of proportion. And I just don't see how people can get a fair trial. And even as a defense attorney said, you know, after Casey Anthony, and this was right after How does How is he going to get a fair trial? And this happened, we saw this with O.J. and Menendez brothers, yeah. where O.J. was acquitted, and then the Menendez brothers' second trial approached in the same courthouse with the same team of prosecutors, and they were not going to lose that one. Mm-hmm. And I think it's political. It's not about wrong or right, and yeah. it's it's problematic. So where are things now? What are Mallory and Sarah's next moves? And what's Bob Ward's next move?
4: Trying to file another appeal. And a big part of it is this note and things that were done wrong in the last trial as well. And times they should have declared a mistrial, etc. I'll never give up on my dad. I'll never give up on his innocence. But I've definitely given up on our justice system. I've given up on the state of Florida. I can't say enough bad things about everything that's happened to us. But I hope that this serves for someone, even just one person to say, hey, this isn't right. This could happen to anyone because I never thought it would happen to me. And now I'm basically in an episode of Law and Order. It can happen to anyone. I mean, there has to be another way. Something has to change because there are too many innocent people in prison and there are too many guilty people walking the streets. And I'm over it. So the
7: question now, of course, after everything Mallory and Sarah have been through after 10 years of fighting this fight, where are they now?
4: Is there hope? When I'm asked if I have hope, I wish I was strong enough to say, yes, I do. And I think he'll be home one day. But this has been 10 years and I'm not that naive kid anymore. And I don't have hope. I know he will die in prison this appeal whether it goes through or not they'll never let this go you know they'll want to retry it again they'll want to just watch the sideshow again from especially the media they love it orlando just loves to vilify him and and my sister and my aunt and me i i don't think he'll ever get out when he calls me on the phone and asks how things are and how things are going with the attorneys i'm I always tell him things are great, you know, we're doing okay, don't give up, and I love you, and you know, it'll be fine, and you'll be home one day, and because I I can't stand, and I don't like to lie to him, but I can't stand to tell him that I know he's never getting out. He's going to die where he is, and he's 60 pounds underweight, and he's sick, and he's not getting the medication he needs. And so either he dies because he gets stabbed in there which he's been threatened before and they're moving him so to a really bad place and it'll probably happen there or he'll die because they're not treating his illnesses and just you know we're filing an appeal again because when we sold the house because the attorney sold it for half of what it was worth so they could get their money and we could have nothing We because we didn't win the trial so it would have been great if we sold the house, we gave it away for them, and we won the trial and dad came home, but we didn't get shit, we lost everything. And I would do it again, because I would I would give everything to have my dad home. And at some point, maybe if enough people stand up and say, you know, this isn't right. The media has so much control. The prosecution is working with the media. They're all elected, so they just wanna do what they've influenced the media to influence the people to do. I, people need to stand up and say, this can't happen anymore. I'm very fortunate, my dad's very fortunate in the sense that we had millions of dollars to spend on attorneys and we spent every last dime of that money to defend my dad. And I would do it again. I would lose everything. I would give up everything for my dad to be home. Even if we're living in a fucking box on the side of the road in Atlanta, I would do that for him. But imagine the people that don't have the money to do that. We were able to take it this far. We probably can't take it any farther, but imagine the people that couldn't get to where we got and didn't even have that chance.
7: You know what? Sarah's absolutely right. And I'm the person who believes that when the judicial system, when our laws and we have ethical people practicing on both the sides of the prosecution, the defense, we have unbiased jurors, our judicial system can work very, very well with a very low rate of error. However, generally there are agendas at play that we've addressed on multiple episodes that aren't visible through the lens of the media or the public eye. I mean, DAs are an elected position. Um, Judges are also elected positions and people often make decisions or campaign against or for certain cases. Based on those motives. So that's something we always just have to keep in consideration. When you add the media and a bias there, there's another variable you have to consider as far as an additional catalyst to swaying a conviction or an outcome or kind of a hive mind about this person's guilt. We all know there are innocent people in prison. More than we realize. And there are many guilty people walking free. We can't deny it. And Sarah's right. I mean, there has to be a better way. But you know where you start in trying to get to the bottom of all of this? You speak up, you be the squeaky wheel. And where Sarah started was messaging Billy. And now Jack, Billy, and myself have spent a ton of time talking about this case. And Now, there have been two episodes of this podcast about it. And you know what? I know that, Sarah, your hope is you don't have anymore because you've been grappling with this forever, but we do. Okay? So we're listening. We're here for you. And, you know, I'm so, so glad you messaged Billy.
3: But I just want to read to you what she wrote to me. So, um... This is initially how she reached out to me. Hi, Billy. I hope you're well. I want to reach out to you because I was hoping to bring some interest to my dad's case. He's been twice convicted of murdering my mom, but we have a suicide note and his DNA wasn't on the gun. I know you focus on unsolved cases, but I would love to chat with you about this and get some ideas and at least tell you more about it if possible. Um, I replied. She said, "Thank you so much for reply- responding." He was known as Millionaire Murderer Bob Ward in Orlando. And imagine how oh horrible God. that is to to like you're writing this to me like a stranger, <laughs> and you're writing like, "Yeah, my dad, Millionaire so anyway, Murderer Google Bob, Millionaire Bob. Bob.
5: Yeah. Murderer." God, and full. um
3: and then she writes, "We don't have any money now. My sister and I have spent everything and given everything to his defense, even our house." And then she included a um um a link to one of the stories, and it she actually. Did the cry laugh emoji because say oh no I didn't see that the picture at, it, it, Is her crying In jail like like I've with, seen yeah, those that. On the yeah exactly in the green shirt And yeah mm-hmm. and that's the that's the um The thumbnail that came up and she's like oh my god I can't believe I sent that so you know she Said um um Um, It did get a lot of press at the time, but we were completely railroaded. She brings up that the police bought porn on our our TV when they investigated at the house and stole thousands of dollars in cash and jewelry. And our attorneys told us not to say anything about it because it would ruin our chances at trial, which were already ruined. We went into the same courtroom right after Casey Anthony. And then she she sent me a picture of the family and also a picture of the suicide note. Here are some pictures. I think uh, sometimes pictures help put us face to a headline. We were a happy family. I'm not one to give up. Even if you don't think you can help, maybe you know someone who can. Oh, she talks about her dad. And this is the stuff where, and I get a lot of these, but I mean, and usually I don't do wrongful conviction things. But this is like, she's like, I'm not out looking to get attention for myself or piggybacking on anything. I'm begging for help anywhere I can for my dad. He is old and sick and will die in prison for something he didn't do. And not only him but many other people. There were so many wonderful, innocent people in prison. We have been lucky to take our case as far as we have, but he won't make it out on the other side of this. I have given one third of my life to it and will be defined by this forever. As I always say to everybody, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. You be be the squeaky wheel. And she was, and I'm so glad that I was able to to bring this to, to first degree.
7: So we're certainly glad,
5: Sarah, that you reached out. And we're glad that we could tell your story because nobody else could tell it from your perspective and from such a personal way.
7: Right. And your dad sitting in jail, I, I don't know how you deal with that day to day, um, especially considering what he went through in the media and in the trials and the roller coaster, all of that and you and Mallory show incredible strength yes. and I really admire it so much
3: absolutely so thank you so much for reaching out that's the whole reason why we do this podcast mm-hmm. is that people can tell their stories whether they're on a um, um, uh, victim side of things whether they knew a, a perpetrator and we give them that voice
5: yeah so if you guys have a similar story please reach out to us you can even write Billy on Facebook yes. like Sarah did or you can write us on Instagram at the first degree at Alexis link Letter at Billy Jensen at Jack Vanick or write us into our email hello at the podcast.com. And yeah, no story is too small. We read through all of our submissions and we really do um we don't enjoy telling these stories that
4: no, this is
7: why we do it. It's a ton of why work, we do it. but it this stuff, this kind of thing, and being able to help Sarah and Mallory in some way at least feel like they're heard. This is why we do it.
6: Yep. Right.
5: And we're going to CrimeCon. CrimeCon's coming up, so if you guys want to come see us on Podcast Row, you can use our code DEGREE19 for 10% off your passes. Uh, We're going to be there having some drinks, having some talks, and uh, meeting all the true crime fans. All right. well, until next time, uh, keep your friends close, but not that close. Happy Bitcoin Pizza Day.
3: Happy World Goth Day.
0: I was shocked, you know? They were always such a good team. So successful. But